really work with. So, and then we're going to see um, some conflict among the inner circle. So it's kind of interesting. We're going to take a look at a bunch of different things. So Matthew 20, verse 20. Here's what it says. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, we'll talk about that in a minute, came to Jesus uh, with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Right? So there's the cup part. We can, they answered. So verse 23. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. So when the ten heard about this, they were indignant, and with the two brothers. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. So just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let's open up in prayer here. So, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just speak to each of our hearts and minds this morning. I thank you uh, for your word. I can't imagine living... uh, back then where they didn't even have your word in completeness like we do. So we are thankful for that and and we can freely open it and read it and share and talk about it. So I pray that we wouldn't waste that time and waste that opportunity. And I pray also uh, that you'd be with uh, the kids downstairs and that you would bless that lesson and what they're going to be talking about and what they're going to be learning. And most of all, I pray that we wouldn't just gain knowledge but that we would also gain conviction that would lead to action. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing our study through the Bible, right? Marching right through the Bible. We, pick, we do go through these books and we go right through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And what we try and do is make it so that it's 2013 appropriate. So it fits for us. And we get to this particular scene where Jesus is about to enter um, his true calling, really, like his main mission in life, he's right on the brink of it. He's about to show up there. And where all the action is going to happen, it's all going to happen in Jerusalem. So he's right on his way there. And there's a mix of emotions there because the people that um, are with him, his closest confidants, his apostles, his disciples, um, they are feeling two things. One is they're astonished. They can't believe that Jesus is so enthusiastic and leading the way towards, ultimately, really, his death. And secondly, they're scared because they don't know what's going to happen to them after all this takes place because they've left everything to follow this man. So, before, right before he walks into Jerusalem, the triumphant entry, you know, Palm Sunday where we do the palms, we say Hosanna in the highest, right? That's when he enters. So right before we get there, there's this conversation um, where uh, they're all sitting around. And it's interesting the way this conversation goes down is that it says the two sons of Zebedee. And so we got a picture up here. 
the uh, two sons, um, they had a nickname. They were called the Sons of Thunder. That's how they got their nickname. And the Bible's not really clear exactly why they got that name. There was an instance uh, where these two guys, um, they were in a particular town, and they didn't really treat Jesus right. And uh, one of them goes, should we just bring down lightning and thunder and destroy, you know, this town? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Like, you know, you're not getting this. Like, they want to reject me. You know, that's fine. we got work to do. Um, but these two guys, James and John, sons of thunder, the nicknamed by Jesus. And they're fishermen. And chances are, many people believe, uh, that they got this nickname because maybe they were... Uh, they're kind of aggressive, maybe a little bit boisterous, maybe not. A, they had a short fuse, you know, and so these are the kind of guys you're just hanging out with. And for these big, burly man fishermen guys, it's very interesting what happens. They have this request, and what they do is they get their mommies. Everybody say mommy. They get their mommy. So these big two, like, strong guys, fishermen guys, sons of thunder, right? They get their mommies. And so they grab their mom, and they put her in the middle of this thing. They come up to Jesus, and um, basically, they want to make sure they have prominent place in the kingdom. One on Jesus' right, and one on his left. It's a big-time request. Very ambitious, right? Very ambitious request. And, uh, and Jesus, you know, his response is like, well, um, do you really know like what you're asking? And they say, uh, and then he follows it up with saying, can you drink the same cup that I'm going to drink? And, and Mark, one of the other gospels that records, he says, can you drink this same cup and you can, be, can you be baptized in the same way? And so they say, yes, we can. Uh, you know, they didn't really know the whole story yet, but they were enthusiastic about it. Yes, they can. And in fact, Jesus repeats them. He says, you know what? You can. And then he follows up and says, you know what? It's not even really up to me if you can sit on my right or my left. I don't even make that call. You know, my father makes that call. So while this conversation is happening, there's ten other guys listening. So if we put ourselves in the sandals and in that situation... We've all, all 12 of us, right? We've left everything. Our businesses, our friends, our lives, everything we knew that was familiar. And we all followed this man, the Messiah, that we believed. And so now you got two of them. Which really, Jesus really, he had a special relationship with James, John, and Peter. Like those three guys, for whatever reason, they're part of his inner circle. And so you have two of these three guys... In the middle, around everybody else, hey, make sure, how can we get a special place in the kingdom? How do we get a special seat up there? Everybody hears it, and they're like, that's just going to lead to problems right away. They're not going to be happy about it. So it says that they're indignant, they're annoyed by that. Like, why would they even be asking that question, and why would they get special treatment when we've all put in the same sacrifice? And so Jesus, you know, realizes that's the scene going on. And what he does, he tries to diffuse the situation and really explain to them what greatness is all about in the kingdom and how that works. Kingdomnomics. He's trying to explain like, how that all works. And then what's going to happen is they're going to leave from there and actually go heal somebody. So for us in 2013, I think uh, there's three observations, at least that I made while studying, going through the passage and taking a look at it, that I think would be helpful for us 
be helpful to take away. Here's the first uh, observation. First observation is, what is the best way, and it's a question, what is the best way physically to approach God with my requests? What's the best way to approach God, like bodily position before God? So there's some people that come, you know, hands raised high. You know, there's some people, you know, that just come on their knees all the time. Sometimes people are praying out loud verbally. Um, Sometimes people are praying in their hearts, not saying anything, you know, verbally. Sometimes people are praying in the car as they're driving, right? That's not as bad as texting, right? Because you could talk, right? You're not, right? There's no law against driving and praying. Um, You can pray in all sorts of ways. And so I I think it's a pretty legitimate question as far as, you know, what is the best, is there one way that's like more holy that would be more approved by God? Someone may tend to think that if one person is always on their knees praying, then God is certainly most definitely listening. As maybe compared to somebody else that's just like sitting down regular or doing whatever throughout their day, like God's not listening. And it's interesting, I like this about the mother here. In verse 20 it says, The mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor. That was her approach toward Jesus. She had a very serious question. And she was coming right before him. And the original language, it says that she fell, fr- fell prostrate right before him. Just like in a really super worshipful way. Which is really nice. So I like that part about the question. She's automatically convinced, number one, that there is going to be a kingdom. And that Jesus is going to be the king of it. That's a really good starting place. And she comes on her face and on her knees. When I look back, um, you know, at my own life, I can think of all the different prayers and all the different, you know, types of ways. And, and sometimes it felt like my prayers were just hitting the ceiling and then coming right back down. And then other times it felt like, man, my, the prayers are just really powerful, but then like I wouldn't see anything out of it, um, at least not directly right away. And... I would sometimes get caught up in what I saw directly after the prayer and then I would use that to dictate if my prayers were successful or not. And um, I think that could be very, very easy to do because, you know, prayer is really a thing of faith. And so even if I offer up those prayers and I talk to God, even if I don't see anything you know, right away happening, or it may even be getting, quote-unquote, worse. Sometimes you can't always tell it's getting better or worse. But to me, it looks like it's getting worse, like God isn't answering the prayers, or maybe I did something wrong, or I didn't pray it the right way. I also found and noticed um, that as like going through life, um, I've been on my knees like uh, a good chunk of time. And I think at some point in a Christian's life, at somewhere, it's going to bring us to our knees and on our face. Like people who have experienced life and have like been through some things, you know, when, when you don't have and you are desperate, when you are, like, desperate, 
ready to call it quits on whatever it might be. When somebody just got deathly ill, when the reports coming in are all negative, when you are feeling super alone, really discouraged, and I can definitely bring myself back to those places and I can remember, man, just sitting, uh, you know, in my room and uh, having the worship going and just being just a mess, just on the, I'm like, man, I'm glad nobody's seeing this right now, but just like a mess, you know, on the floor before God because I was, you know, at that place where just desperate. He needs to show up like there is no other option right now. He has to. And I don't think that means that somebody's faith is unstable. That means that they're going to the right and proper place. Because I think the world's way and the temptation would be, oh, we just got to man up, or I don't know if you can say woman up, but be an adult about it and just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get yourself through it. We're in the kingdom. It doesn't necessarily work that way. A loving father actually orchestrates events so that way he can actually have our full attention. And if I were to just pull myself up on my own bootstraps and ignore the attention he's trying to get, it's not going to really lead to anything good. And so I think it's of a lot of value for us as Christians to reflect back and be like, how do I talk to God? Like, how do I approach Him? Is it the same way all the time? Is my body uh, expressions ever different? I remember I went through the first, like, hand-raising experience. And uh, I was probably, like, 15. And I remember being at church and pretty much grew up in the church. And you see people during worship time, um, you know, doing this or doing this. Or at the church, we had the rams in the back blowing the shofar, you know. Not the rams in the back, but blowing the ram's horn in the back, the shofar. And there wasn't rams in the church. But, um, you know, so there was like all kinds of stuff going on. in the church that I got saved in, they were really excited. Uh, I think sometimes over the top, a little bit too emotional for me. And the services were super long. Three, four hours. Brother Rucker would be up there with his towel. Amen and amen. And like they're going and going. And then we would leave and we'd come back later in the day. And I was like, oh my, eight years old, dying at church. But all these different, you know, expressions. I think God brings us through these varying different levels um, of intimacy with them. And sometimes they show themselves in different ways. I would think it would be a a real problem for a Christian to never ever fall on their face or fall on their knees before God. Because it's like, have you ever really not gotten like that desperate? That's why I become very concerned and I see some people that I know or that are around me and it's perilous times. Like things are rough. Things are difficult. And... um, there's this phrase that goes, I don't even know who came up with it, never waste a perfectly good crisis. Never waste a perfectly good crisis. Because um, I know and I can see at that point in time, man, if they reach out to God right now, they will meet Him and engage with Him in a way that they've never imagined or experienced before. And God is there waiting to do it. But they don't want to like do it. And so I would... You know, say that this whole idea of posture 
it changes as we like grow in the Lord and you'll feel these nudging and these urges and then the encouragement that I would say is like just do it no matter how silly it might look or whatever might happen we just got to go and be free before God we got to and so the, the hand raising thing you know I was at work uh, one day um, helping out you know my dad working he's like you know you should really raise your hands in church in a real loving way of course uh, that's sarcasm. And so, uh, and so he says that. And, uh, but I still listen. You know, he's still my dad. Like, there's still some value to what he's saying. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know. You know, why are they raising their hands? Like, why are they doing that thing? And, and um, man, I remember that first time uh, happened, uh, you know, at church. I, th- I did it on a missions trip. That was the first time I was like, I'm on a missions trip now. I'm away. Nobody knows me. So then now I could do this thing. And it just happened to be that that missions trip was right when I turned 16. So it was like kind of in that gap. I've already been thinking about it and stuff. And so then I'm on the mission trip. You know, nobody knows me. And boom, you know, actually, no, I didn't do two. I did like the kind of the one like at first. And then the one got taller. And then the other one kind of like brought its way up there, you know. And, but, um, and I can't really put into words exactly if that made me, it didn't make me holy or more acceptable to God, but I know that there was some sort of urge or something going on inside that was like, you should just do it and just be free and just surrender. And then I started to dig a little bit deeper. And then in the Word, you know, it talks about, especially in Psalms, we opened up with Psalms this morning, it talks about how to come in the sanctuary, lifting your quest and lifting your hands before God. I'm like, oh, this is biblical. You know, so I started reading further and reading about a guy like David, who's a worshiper man, who would dance and get into it. People would make fun of that for sure, but that's the way, you know, he approached God. And so I appreciate this woman's posture right away. Uh, there's a part that uh, we don't really like, which we're going to get into next. But her posture right away before God, before Jesus, as she approached Him, was great. And it should also be said, before we move on to the next point here, that the posture physically doesn't really matter as much as the posture of our heart spiritually. Like, that's the part that really matters. So if I'm, you know, standing, or, you know, hands up, or down on my knees, or whatever it might be, the posture of my heart, that's the thing that really matters. And that might bring me to any posture. I mean, who really knows? But at the end of the day, us as Christians, um, we just got to be able to respond however God is leading us. So that was the first observation that I liked, is that her physical approach, man, she came down on her knees before God. The second observation is this right here. It says, We can tell how ambitious we are for the things of the Lord by examining our prayer requests. We can tell how ambitious we are for the things of the Lord by examining our prayer requests. So this is a big time ambitious request here. It made me right away, as soon as I read it, I was like, man, that's, that's a big time request. When was the last time I had an ambitious, big time, go big prayer request for God? And the way for me to evaluate that would be to go back and look at, okay, what does my prayer life look like? What are the types of things that I'm praying about? Um, what do I talk to God with you know, on a consistent basis? And I think we have to do that. And we have to look at those. Because I know a lot of people where 
their prayer life revolves around how it can make their physical life just make it more comfortable for them. And that's pretty scary. Because God is kind of interested in our comfort, but He's much more interested in our holiness. Like, that's the part that really matters. And uh, the ambitious part about this I like, but at the root of what she's asking is not good because the whole reason why she's asking is so that her sons can kind of be elevated above everybody else, which that's the bad part about ambition, right? There's a good part there that they're approaching God and wanting um, and believing that God's kingdom will be in place and that He is who He says He is, but the bad part is that there's some pride mixed in in there. And that's why it does, it's really good for us to examine our prayer lives and see, are my prayers all about me and my comfort? Um, how is that going to work? And in James 4.3, it says, Ask not... Basically, you don't have anything because you ask amiss. In some versions it says, You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So this is where she stumbled. She had a good request. She approached the Lord in a good way, but she had the wrong motives, like the wrong intent. God, you know, lifts, you know, my sons, make sure they can be on your right and left. And who's even thinking like that? Like, why are we even having this conversation around? Jesus must have been like, you guys still aren't totally getting this quite yet. You've been hanging around with me. We've been ministering, you know, doing what God wants us to do. And we're still trying to figure out who's getting special seats in heaven. Like, they just weren't quite getting it yet. Here's the third observation. So we can tell how ambitious we are for the things of the Lord by examining our prayer requests. Here's the last observation. The secret of Jesus' ministry was that He was a slave and servant to His Father's plans. He was slave and servant to His Father's plans. If we take a look there... He addresses uh, this issue of wanting them to be in heaven on the right and on the left. And he tries to set the record straight. He says, verse 26, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be made your slave. And this is where we get the words minister and deacon. This is where the words come from. Servant and slave. So minister, deacon, they're not really supposed to be celebrities. Like, that's not really the calling. Um, You know, I'm not... uh, you know, here at this church, hoping that, man, I can become a celebrity someday, I can get well-known, people will know my... That's, like, insane, you know what I mean? Like, here to, like, serve and be a servant. That's, like, what ministry is all about. There's a, a quote here that I like from Warren Wearsby. It says, To improve our praying, we must improve our serving. If we are serving Him and others then we will not be praying selfishly. It's like, man, that is a great quote right there. I really appreciate that one. If we want to improve our praying, we must improve our serving because what it does, right, it takes our focus off of us and our world and gives us the ability to really pray for other people. This is the part that scares me uh, about the Western church, you know, our side, the American church, is that... Um, Unfortunately, too many people, it's like, come to church, consume it, wherever it is, and just kind of head out. 
about our lives. When the whole goal, the whole purpose was that Jesus just came to serve. So a very, very small part of church is uh, to show up and fill myself up. A very big part of church is now using how God has gifted me or gifted you for the better of the body to lift it up. That's a huge, huge part. And, you know, unfortunately, like, uh, you know, other things have creeped in there, like to make it, you know, funky and just all about us again. You know, we just end up doing that where, you know, we start patting ourselves on the back, maybe like, you know, for coming for a lot of weeks in a row or something. And that's like so far from the truth. I mean, we got to come, get filled up, but then I'm coming to church like, who can we encourage? Who can I pray for? Who can I bless? That's the purpose of the body, and that's what I want, you know, this young church to do, is to be a church and be a place where, hey, that community, that Christian family there, they just love pouring into people. They just pour into people. And then that's what Jesus said. That's how people will know that you're a Christian. Not by how many Sundays you attend, or how much money you give, but they're going to know about how you love other people. That's the mark that I want to have on us. And I think as Christians, that's the mark we want to have that people know, man, I'm a Christian based on, wow, how they treat other people, how they just pour out, pour out, pour out. And the only way I can really pour out effectively and powerfully is by being alone with the Lord in the first place. That's the only way that we can do it. So man, it comes back full circle once again to just getting alone and being with God. It just fuels everything. And unfortunately, it's just so easy to like just let that go by the wayside. It's a struggle for me this week just to get quiet time in this week. And I was just finding all kinds of stuff to do. And I was just bad on it. I was just like finding every other thing in the world to do. And for whatever reason, this week it was just like, man, I'm having a really hard time like just getting alone for half hour whatever just like praying for my family you know praying for my wife praying you know for Jaren praying for the church for friends and there's a battle this week trying to do it and I could just I could just sense from within it's like man that's just my flesh just want to I don't know get done whatever it wants to get done put stuff in place of what God has man so us as a people we need to just be alone with them so badly because He will show you, He will show me how to pour into other people. How nice would it be to have some fairly clear, good direction from God Himself being like, go here, do that, minister here, talk to them, do whatever. Man, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. I know that... Um, I was talking with some friends last night, and um, when uh, when I was in college, I couldn't get enough of God, church, like ministry, pranks. Couldn't get enough. Sundays were booked. So we grew up in the in the Hartford area, and we would travel down to church in Uncasville, where I'd do Sunday school for like for four years, teaching fifth and sixth graders. And then after that, I'd you know, have church for myself. And then come back home. And then later that Sunday at night, go down to Fairfield, another hour away, and do like college-age stuff down there. And, and I loved it. Like, it was great. 
was great. It was tiring, you know, sometimes. I didn't get all my homework done for college, but um, it was great. Sundays, you know, were awesome because uh, God made it really clear to me that, man, you just got to go serve. Like, just get involved and just, like, start doing stuff. And I remember doing Sunday school at the church for, like, four years. And I was like, that is not... I'm not really interested in doing that. I'm just... um, It just didn't really appeal to me really at all. But I remember uh, when they were talking at church and they were, you know, discussing, you know, I needed, you know, Sunday school leaders and stuff like that. Um, It just had like a little nudge, a little urge, you know, inside. Nothing dramatic. It wasn't like God just like whacked me with something. It's just a little urge, a little nudge. Like, the church needs this. If you fall under the authority of the church, which I I do, you know, I fall under the authority of the pastor in the church. They have a need. Why don't you go see what you can do to help alleviate that need? It's like, all right, I guess that's what I'll do. And I really felt like God made that really clear to me. And it was specific, like, you know, do you fall under the authority of that church? I've placed this here for you to serve in. You might not like it, but would you be open to it if I asked you? It's like, all right. So then I started doing it. I mean, that was great for me. It was great. Every Sunday, it was a lot. Every Sunday, you know, it was far, you know what I mean? And Saturday nights, you know, sometimes they're late. And learned a lot because it forced me to get into the Word and know it pretty solid because I had to deliver it in a fifth grade way. And I can't say it was always successful. But I tried. I really did try. Um, And it also made it challenging because in the class was the pastor's kid. Kid was so difficult. Oh my, he got in so much trouble. He got so I kicked him out of class. I don't know how many times, and I have to like you know leave them with assignment and then go outside and say, you know, do you understand why you know we had to remove you from the class and you understand you can't you know punch so and so like that's not good and we went through all the conversations you know and then it's awkward because then it's the pastor's kid you know so, hey you know he's like how was my son today uh, you want the truth or so. But it was good. It was good for me in a lot of different ways. You know, it uh, made me be able to serve, teach me a little bit more about, you know, uh, the authority, you know, that God really had in my life. And then it helped, you know, grow me. So that quote has a lot of value to it. And I noticed that I was praying now, like, for these kids in class. And I don't see these kids, like, once a week. I live far away from them. But now I'm, like, praying for each kid, and I'm knowing about their lives, and... It all just changed. So, here's the takeaway question for this morning. Here's the takeaway question. The question really centers on this. The question is this. Is the cup and his baptism central to my Christianity? That's really the key takeaway question. Is the cup and his baptism central to to my Christianity. Now, if we could, can we bring up that Mark verse just so we could see it and everybody could take a look? Because I threw the word baptism in there. We didn't really see that yet. And uh, I think it's Mark 10. It's on there. It's one of the slides. Because it's in the New King James Version, which I like better for this particular passage. Uh... Yes, Matthew 20. Sorry, not Mark. It says, Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized 
with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with, right? So that was the big question that Jesus posed before them. And I like this version better because he gets very specific. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink and then be baptized the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? So basically Jesus says, hey, listen, the cup that I'm going to drink, it's centered on suffering. So number one, can you handle that? It's going to be suffering and persecution. Where maybe sometimes in America it's, you know, name it, claim it, frame it. You know, health, wealth, and prosperity. That's not always the goal. Sometimes he may do that for us, but that's not by any means the end goal. So can you drink this cup, number one? Can you deal with the intense suffering that's going to happen? And secondly, can you also be baptized the same baptism I'm going to be baptized with? Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist early on in his ministry. But the other baptism that he underwent was when he died. He went down center of the earth and was baptized in death. And when he rose again, that's like him rising from the dead. So when people got baptized, so when Juan got baptized and his wife Danielle and Greg and we did the Sunday fun day, right? They were baptized old nature that's like Jesus himself going down underground then coming up boom a new creation like Jesus rose from the dead so that was the key issue Jesus wanted to get to hey listen can you handle this cup this intense suffering that's going to happen to you and can you handle this type of baptism that would come your way because if you can't you can't even start thinking about left and right of me in the kingdom of heaven and so that's our takeaway question we can go back to the question That's the one we really have to look at for ourselves. Is the cup and his baptism central to my Christianity? Is that suffering and the baptism into a new life where he is at the center? Is that central for my Christianity or is it something else? That's the one that like Jared has to look at and he's got to analyze. And then for you, you have to look at and you have to analyze and be like, is it okay with wherever God might bring me, whatever situation He might bring me into, would that be okay? Or if God were to bring me into difficult situations, would I maybe then accuse Him of maybe not loving me or not being faithful? That's a like, legit question we have to ask ourselves. That's really the focus here. Because that was the focus that He was giving to His apostles. And so that's why the follow-up, you know, is it something or someone else? Because at the end of the day, we just want to make Christianity about Jesus. That's what it's about. It's about Jesus and what He did for us. And then once we know that and we accept that, we realize now that we're working in His kingdom, kingdomnomics. I'm just working for whatever He has. And I'm going to go wherever He goes. Whatever He says, whenever He says it. No matter how silly it might make me look, or how strange it might make me feel, I just go. It takes a lot of courage to do that. That's not very easy. I don't know about you, but I don't know a ton of people really like that. But when God gets a hold of us and we give Him that place, He'll take us places for sure. I was uh, talking last night too about a young friend of mine that I coach in basketball. Uh, you know, he's been at Bible college. He's going to be taken off uh, to China pretty soon to go see some underground churches and be around that. And, I mean, he wasn't really talking about this stuff before, but you knew something was up with him because uh, even when he was in high school, he's like, hey, coach, he's like, uh, you want to come down uh, with me on the green in New Haven and just start witnessing? 
And I'm like, who says that? I'm like 16, 17 years old. I come witnessing on the green. Um, uh, yeah, like, let's go, you know. So I go with him and, you know, kind of see, like, you know, what he was doing and what he was saying. And, man, it was pretty cool. Like, God had a hold of this kid. But he let God have a hold of him. So you fast forward now, he's in Bible college. And chances are, he'll probably head out to China for a little bit. And it's going to be super dangerous. And unfortunately, uh, a good chunk of his Christian friends are Christian friends, not just friends. Christian friends are saying, that's a bad idea. It's too dangerous. You know, like you still have a life to live. You, still, you could still have a family, you could still have kids. And, you know, so he's kind of messed up with that. And he's like, hey, coach, you know, what do you think about this? I'm like, man, there, there's no hesitation from me on that one. If you feel like God is telling you to go, and you're getting like some good godly counsel, not just a whim type deal, there's some serious prayer going into this thing, then you just go. You just go. We don't know what the next step might be, but that's what the life of faith is all about. That's what all these guys in here are about. Right from the very beginning. Just the life of faith. You just go. So what we're going to do is we're going to take communion. And um, I will uh, I'll pass out the elements. And you can take it if you'd like. And if you would uh, not like to, please don't. Because cause it comes down to the cup issue. Like, we're only going to take baptism. For those of us that do, we only take the cup uh, because... For us, that's central. Like, we're in it no matter what. Doesn't really matter. God is God of my life. And that is just central for me. That's what we were saying when we take communion. So if you can't say that, then I just wouldn't take it. Like, just don't make it weird or bad between yourself and God. Like, you don't want to ju- you know, put judgment on yourself like that. Um, so I'll pass out the elements. There'll be a song playing. Just, uh, I would just spend that time in prayer. And seeing what God might say to you. And then hold on to it, and then we'll take it together. Okay.
Crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. 